Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 5. We'll read verses 6 through 9. Read these words with me. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, Stand up, take your mat, and walk. At once the man was made well, and he took up his mat and began to walk. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. One of the things that you may or may not know about me is that I am kind of a big Star Wars fan. And whenever I say kind of a big Star Wars fan, I mean I have every movie that's come out. I have every novelization of every movie that's come out. Well, every novelization of the Skywalker saga. I'm also someone who knows what the Skywalker saga is. And I'm also someone who has lightsabers at my house, including one that I made whenever my family went to Disney World. And I have no regrets on that score. And so one of the things that's been really delightful is my daughter has grown. She's five now, almost six. And, uh, and I love that she loves Star Wars and playing with lightsabers. And, and apparently she's seen, seen someone. Um, it's, it must have been my wife because there's no way I would ever do anything as undignified as playing with a lightsaber and swinging it around at home um, because that's childish. Um, but my daughter has seen someone do that because she likes to do that as well. And so it's been a lot of fun, but, um, but one of the things that you know if you have children is if you do things, they will do them too. And if you say things, they will save them too. Well, it's similar in the way that our families work. We have patterns in our families, and if we enact those patterns, they will be repeated. And sometimes that's great whenever it's related to things like, uh, like playing with Star Wars toys. Sometimes it's not so great whenever it's things that are harmful and hurtful. And so we're going to talk about today how we can identify those harmful patterns and how we can remove them from our lives and replace them with patterns that are life-giving, that will fill us with the love of Christ. And so this week we're wrapping up our series Relationship Boot Camp, and over the past four weeks we've been talking about the struggles of ordinary families and the everyday situations that we all face. Every one of our families is imperfect. Um, Every one of our families even has some level of dysfunction, and whether we think of our families as dysfunctional or a lot, you don't have to tell anyone, but we all have some level of that in our families. And and that's normal, but it's something that we all need to learn to work through in order to grow in our relationships. And so where we've been over the last few weeks, in week one we talked about bonding, because bonding is the first and most fundamental need in our relationships, um, in our families. It's forming deep and loving attachments. We all need to know that, that we have a safe place or we will be unconditionally loved and accepted that we can go out into the world from and, and return to whenever we need um, affirmation of who we are and that we're loved. And so we all need strong bonds. But then we also need freedom. We need both attachment and freedom. We need bonds and boundaries. And one of the great things that boundaries do for us is they distinguish one person from another. They tell me where I stop and where you begin. And although it's it's somewhat counterintuitive, we actually find that whenever we have strong, good, healthy boundaries, they're actually better and healthier than relationships that have no boundaries. Because without boundaries, we're just fused. We don't know uh, what's you and what's me, and, and that really leads to, um, to difficulty. And so we need those strong boundaries in order to have 
healthy relationships. Last week, Pastor Mark with us shared with us about achieving adulthood because God desires for each of us to be to grow up fully mature in wisdom. And one of the things that he shared with us is that healthy adults ask good questions, answer honestly, and act accordingly. They're honest with themselves and they act out of that honesty. Now, they don't delude themselves, but actually live according to wisdom. And all of us need to grow up. And so that's where we've been over the last few weeks. And, and today, one of the things that we're looking at is really as, as we examine all three of those things is recognizing that we all carry unhealthy patterns, thoughts, beliefs, and behaviors from our family of origin. We all pick up things and um, whether we want to or not, we end up passing those on and continuing to live out of those. Sometimes that's even true out of things that, that we explicitly reject, that we think we're rejecting. You know, we say, you know, it was like this in my house growing up and, and I'm never going to do that whenever I have children. And then we have children and find ourselves doing or saying the things that we said we were never going to do or say. Those patterns find ways of repeating themselves. And so that, that, that happens with things that are great and that are wonderful and joyous, but it also happens with things that, that are really difficult, that are really harmful, and um, that are really painful. And so we all pick up these things, and, and it's absolutely vital that we do the hard work of becoming healthy. Because unless we do the work of becoming healthy, our family patterns will continue to harm our most important relationships. It'll continue to be passed down and, and handed on. will continue to affect the people that we love. Now, I had um, a wonderful home growing up. I had wonderful parents, um, great siblings, and they were imperfect, as are we all. You know, it's like we say at the beginning of each worship service, we are all saints and sinners. We are all created in the image of God and still very much in need of God's grace. But there are things that I picked up from my family, as, as wonderful as they are, that, um, that are challenging and that still cause problems for me at some points. Some of the things that I internalized were um, that it, it was better for me just to go along with whatever other people want than to stand up for myself and to ask for what I need. And so um, that's still a behavior that I have to fight against. And whenever I find myself um, giving into it, it, it may make things easy in the short run, but, but in the long run, it actually harms my relationships. And so there are lots of things like that that we pick up, that we put into practice. And, you know, there are also some, some really devastating things as well that we sometimes pick up, that we experience, and, and that continue to, to haunt us and to hurt us throughout our lives. And so it's really vital that we do that important emotional work, that we work through the difficulties that we encounter in childhood and in our families of origin, and that we do the work of becoming mature. Because as Peter Schizero says, it's impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. It's impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. And so we may think that, that we know a lot about the Bible, but until we do that hard emotional work, we're never going to progress to a place where we're spiritually mature, where we're able to experience the things that God has for us, the joy and the love that God invites us into, and to really have fullness of relationships with others, because those, those hurts and that emotional immaturity will just get in the way. And so we all need that healing that God invites us into, and yet it's also really hard. And it's something that we resist. We, we resist that healing sometimes. And, you know, while we often want to become healthier, we often resist. 
And this is true um, with regard to emotional health, but it's also true in other areas as well. And so with regard to physical health, we may feel like we um, want to, to eat better, to exercise more, but you know, it's difficult to buy the right food and then find time to cook it, and it's just easier to continue to eat out. It's difficult to find time for an exercise regimen. It's true with financial health, you know, staying on top of my budget and paying all of my bills and, and getting the right investments and all those kinds of things just feels kind of overwhelming. And, and so we resist it. Well, we resist emotional health as well. And here are a few reasons. One of those is that it's painful. It's difficult work. It's not something that, um, that is enjoyable a lot of the time. We have to go through memories that can be really painful and difficult. And so that work is hard. It's, it's painful. And sometimes we just kind of dip our toe in. We take that first step and realize this, this is really going to hurt. It's going to revisit things that I've tried to push behind me, that I've tried to keep pushed down. I really don't want to experience that again. It can also feel disloyal. You know, as I mentioned, I, I had a great family growing up and, and still have a, an imperfect family. And sometimes whenever we revisit some of those things and we look at the effect that um, our family patterns have had on us, it feels like we're being disloyal, like we're saying our parents weren't good parents, like our siblings weren't good siblings, or um, that our family was a bad or dysfunctional family. Um, that's not at all what it's saying. What it's recognizing is that all of our families are imperfect. And we all have work to do out of those patterns that become, that begin to um, be embodied in our lives and our behaviors and our thoughts and actions. Then we also resist it because denial feels safer. You know, if I just pretend like it doesn't exist, maybe it will stop existing. I hate to tell you this, but that has never worked for me in any area of my life. Denial never makes things better, and that's true in this area as well. And then finally, emotional work is difficult to define. Uh, whenever we're trying to become healthier, whenever we're trying to repair our relationships, to grow relationally, there are just a lot of things about it that, that are not real clear-cut. And so there's a lot of guidance we can get, but, you know, it's not just something that's as simple as first take this step and then take step two and step three, and then you'll be done, and you'll know when you're done, and it'll all be finished. It's ongoing work that's often messy and, uh, and is not really clear sometimes about what work needs to be done and whether it's been done well. One of my hobbies is woodworking, and one of the things that I really like about woodworking, you can see me working with my helper over here, but one of the things I like about it is I know that whenever these screws are, um, are drilled in, that that project is done, that those boards are secure, and I'm good. And that's one of the things that I really like is that I can finish something, and even if I've done it wrong, I at least know that I did it wrong. If I cut a board too short or too long, I know, and then I can fix it on the next one. Relational work is rarely that well-defined, and so it's difficult, and it's easy for me to find myself resisting it because I'm just not really sure what step I need to take or how I need to do it. Maybe you've had that experience as well. And so there are a lot of reasons that we resist it, but one of the things that we find is that recovery from family wounds is a long process that requires difficult work. And so we resist it. And yet healing is part of what it means to receive salvation. Whenever we put our trust in Christ, it's not just about what happens to us after we die, but we experience his eternal life even now. We experience his kingdom as soon as we put our trust in him. And part of the healing work that he does in us, part of the saving work that he does in us, is healing. And part of that is emotional and relational. And so it's absolutely a part of what it means to follow Jesus, to, to seek healing and to receive his healing in those parts of our lives. And so what we're going to look at is how Jesus did that. How did Jesus actually heal people um, in his ministry? 
Well, we read about in John chapter 5, there was a man who had been sick for 38 years. He um, was apparently unable to walk. It doesn't specify why, but he has been lying um, at the pool of Bethsaida. And you can actually see that if you go to Jerusalem today. Um, there, The ruins have, have been uncovered, and you can see the place where, where he would have laid. Now, there's not a lot of great place to, uh, to lay down next to the water now, um, but you can get an idea of what that may have looked like. And so Jesus approached this man, and um, it, this is what it says in chapter, in verse 6, he says, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been lying there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? Whenever I hear that question, one of the things I think is like, Jesus, what do you think? Of, of course he wanted to be made well. Why, why else would, would he be there? And, and yet that, I think that is a better question than we might think off, off the first reading of that text. Uh, because, you know, whenever we are faced with situations like that, we don't always want to be well. We might think we do, and, and ideally it might be nice, but sometimes we would rather stay sick than face what it might take to become well, to actually go through the things that it takes to become better. If you've ever been through surgery, if you've been through a joint replacement, one of the things that you know is that often the rehab can be worse than the surgery itself. And so it's tempting just to stop and say, nope, I'm good. Um, If my my joint only gives me 10 degrees of movement, I'll just learn to live with that. And, you know, if you don't do the rehab work, you're never going to get the full range of motion that you want. But it's really hard, and sometimes we would just rather stay the way that we are than actually do the work that it requires, because healing requires our participation. It's not just something where Jesus snaps his fingers and, uh, and just does it on his own, but he invites us to be a part of that. God's grace invites our response. And so this is what happens next. The sick man answered Jesus, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. And so at this pool, there was kind of a, um, a belief that if the waters were stirred up, that whoever got to the pool first um, would be healed. Whatever it was that was ailing them, they would be healed. And so um, he, he sat by the pool hoping that someone would, would put him in, but there was never anyone to bring him into the pool fast enough in order to receive healing. But, but what's interesting is, is the question that Jesus asked is, you know, why haven't you been healed yet? It's, do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made well? And, and the man did not give Jesus a straight answer. I mean, really, maybe it's justifiable, maybe it's not, but what he gave him was an excuse. He said, well, you know, if, if someone would just here to, to pick me up and to put me into the water, then, then I would be healed. But he doesn't answer the question. And so here's what Jesus says to him. Jesus said to him, stand up, take your mat, and walk. Take your mat and walk. And so now the man was at a decision point. He had been sitting there, um, you know, maybe every day for 38 years and had never been able to get into the waters so that he could possibly be healed by whatever magical properties people thought that the water had. And and now here Jesus was talking to him and, and told him to stand up and to walk. And he had to decide, am I going to take this risk? Am I going to push up and and see what happens? Am I going to put weight on my legs and see if they can bear anything? That's a really hard step to take, particularly after 38 years to take that first step would have been such an act of faith and courage. And yet Jesus invited the man to participate in his own healing. He didn't just do it for him. 
He invited him to stand up. Jesus didn't pick him up and say, here you go, and I'll carry you, and, and then eventually you can put on whatever the walking equivalent of training wheels are, and then we'll go forward together. He, he said, stand up, take up your mat, and walk. One of the things that we find out in the spiritual life is that God does for us what we cannot do, but won't do for us what we won't do. God invites us to be participants, to um, respond to the grace that God gives to us, but God doesn't force our hands. God doesn't force us to accept healing, to um, do what God asks us to, even to trust and put our faith in Jesus. He offers the invitation, gives us the grace and the power that we need to say yes, but doesn't say yes for us, doesn't take the step. God invites us to take that step ourselves. And so what happened next? Well, at once the man was made well, and he took up his mat and began to walk. Not only did Jesus heal him, but the man actually stood up and was able to take that step for himself. Whenever Jesus offers us healing, he invites us to get up and walk. Not just to magically be healed, but to take those first steps ourselves, to actually be a part of the process, to do the work that we need to do in order to become healthy, to grow, to be healed, to be whole, to experience his salvation in every part of our lives. And so that's what we see in Jesus' healing ministry. That's what we see in the way that he healed others. But we also see important examples of how Jesus faced his own suffering, uh, particularly in an unfair situation where he was facing his own death in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so there are lessons that we can take from that because the night before Jesus was crucified, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. It was just after he and his disciples had had their last supper together and they went out to the garden and this was apparently a place where Jesus liked to pray. And so in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus faced the suffering that awaited him at the cross. He faced what would come and and all the things that he had to work through before he could take those steps himself. And in the way that he did that, he sets an example for how we can face past hurts, how we can face suffering on our own. And as we go through this, I'm drawing on the work of Dave Carter, um, who wrote a great chapter on this in the book, Unlocking Your Family Patterns. Um, And so you can read more there. But but he shows us how Jesus' example can help us whenever we are facing these difficult things in our past or even in our future. But whenever we have those unfair assignments, those things that are difficult, those old wounds that we have to confront. Jesus shows us how we can move forward with those. And so this is what it says. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, and began to be grieved and agitated began to be grieved and agitated. Now, if you think about Jesus and the the paintings and the artwork that we have of him, one of the ways that I don't usually think of him is as grieved and agitated. In fact, it's difficult to imagine Jesus feeling those emotions. But part of the example that Jesus sets for us is that he did not deny his feelings. Whenever he was facing tremendous suffering, he didn't just push it all down and pretend like those things didn't exist. He didn't just tough it out and, and say, you know, whatever, we'll get through this, and, and you've got to do what you've got to do, and, and I feel fine, and we can handle it. Um, no, he, he faced his feelings and even revealed those to the people closest to him. He felt um, that agitation. He felt that anguish. He felt that sorrow. And so he didn't deny them, but, but acknowledged them so that he could work through them. 
He didn't just push them down, but actually identified what he was feeling and then began to work through that. And so whenever we're going through those difficult feelings, um, you know, one of the best things that we can do is, is to just acknowledge them, to acknowledge the things that we feel. And, you know, whether it's the way that we want to feel or not, we don't have much control over that. But whenever we acknowledge them, we can actually begin the work of working through them instead of being controlled by them or denying them. And so we acknowledge and work through our feelings. And this is what happened next. Then he, he said to them, to Peter, James, and John, I'm deeply grieved even to death. Remain here and stay awake from me. And so that gives you even more of an insight into what Jesus was feeling. Deeply grieved even to death. I, I am scared to death about this. I am just overcome with sadness. And then what he did was he asked them to stay with him and to stay awake with him. There wasn't anything that they could do about it. They couldn't stop what was going to happen. They couldn't take those steps for him. They couldn't walk with the cross. What they could do was be with him. And so the second thing that Jesus did is he asked for help. He asked them to stay awake with him during this time of trial, whenever he was suffering, whenever he was pouring out his heart, he asked them just to be present. And so whenever we're going through those things, we can ask for help. We can ask for help from, from family members, from people from church, from trusted um, other Christians who can come alongside us and speak wisdom into our lives. We can ask for help from, from professionals, from pastors, from counselors and therapists, um, from people that we trust. But whenever we're facing these really big issues, God doesn't want us to face those on our own. God gives us community so that whenever we do face them, we can face them with the power of others. Because we need other people with us whenever we're facing past hurts, whenever we're facing our greatest sources of suffering. And so Jesus asked for help, and we can too. After that, going a little farther, Jesus threw himself on the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not what I want, but what you want. And so eventually, it's interesting here, Jesus gets to, to submission to what God wants, to, to the big plan, not what I want, but what you want. But before that, he says, let this cup pass from me. In other words, is there a way out of this? Let this not happen to me. Let me not have to suffer this. And, and, um, and so that's where he starts. He's honest with what he wants. And so he, he prays, he pours out his heart to God, and um, then goes back and finds that his disciples are asleep. And so he, he chastises them and then goes back to praying. And again, he went away for the second time and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And so he goes and prays a second time. And then after that, so leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words. And so whenever Jesus was facing this awful thing that he had to face, that he had to get through, he didn't just pray one prayer and then say, okay, I've done the emotional work. I'm ready. No, he, he went and prayed three times. He, he worked through the stages and did so prayerfully. Jesus did the work in stages and prayerfully. And so whenever we're working through this, these kinds of things, it's not something that we just, you know, do one thing. We, do, we don't just have one conversation with somebody from church and, and then they tell us the advice we need and then we're through it and never have to look back. We don't just go to one counseling appointment and then we figure it all out and have a big light bulb moment and, and then it's all good. It's a process. And, you know, in Jesus' situation, it was unique. It was something that he was facing the next day. For a lot of us, it takes a lot longer than that. It takes time, it takes process, and it takes prayer throughout. And, you know, sometimes it might seem like we're praying the same thing over and over and over. 
And, you know, whenever I look at my life, there are things that, that I've tried to work through, that I've tried to overcome in my own thoughts and behavior. And, and I, sometimes it just feels like, you know, I should really be over this by now. I should be on to a bigger challenge. And yet that's not how it works for a lot of us. For many of us, it takes time, it takes effort, and it takes more time. But we work through the process. We take every stage as it comes and do what we can in the place where we are until we're ready to take the next step. After that, Jesus came to the disciples and, and said to them, after he, he had gone and prayed three times, he said, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. And so Jesus had gone. He would poured out his heart. He would asked his disciples to be with him and, um, and then repeated because they kept falling asleep, but continued to pray and ask for God's help. And eventually, whenever the time came, Jesus took action at the right time. Whenever it was time to take the next step, he knew, and he was ready, and he took it. And so whenever we face those things, you know, um, eventually we know that we come to the place where it's time to move forward, uh, where we've done the work that we need to do, um, where we are, have prepared ourselves for where we need to be, and we're ready to take the next step. We don't just stay where we are and, and endlessly kind of circle around on the same thing, but we do the work we need to, and then we take a step. We move forward so that we can grow and continue the process and to become healthy. And as we do these things, as we follow the example of Jesus, as we acknowledge and work through our feelings, as we ask for help, as we do the work in process and then take the next step at the right time, Jesus gives us the courage and the guidance that we need to do the work of becoming emotionally healthy, of strengthening ourselves so that we can be stronger in relationships, so that we can be more faithful to God, so that we can become a better spouse, a better parent, a better sibling, a better child, a better friend, so that we can do the hard work and experience the fullness of our relationships. And this recovery work is difficult. This is what Dave Carter says about it. He says that recovery from a hurtful family past is never easy, but it is always good. And though it may seem at times to be impossibly difficult, God is there for those who want to do it right in his strength, in his power, and under his care, guidance, and healing hand. Whenever we go through this, God is there, offering us the healing that we need, offering us the courage to take the next step, offering us comfort whenever it's hard. God is always right there with us. And Jesus has not only shows us how to do it, but he's actually been through it himself. He knows what it's like to face suffering. And because of that, we can not only take guidance from his example, but we can take strength, knowing that the one who is with us is also the one who has gone before us. And so these are the action steps that I want to um, invite you to take this next week. Today, it's Valentine's Day, and I want to invite you to reach out to bond with someone you love. That might be a conversation if it's somebody you live with. That might be a phone call. Um, it might be writing a card to someone, but, but take that step. Reach out to someone and show them that you love them. Make that effort to bond with them and to let them know that they're cared for. And then as you kind of process what we've been talking about, I want to invite you to ask God, how are you calling me to take up my mat and walk? What is it in my life that I need um, to be healed from? What are the things that I need to do in order to move forward into the life that you have for me? 
what is that next step? Is it a boundary I need to set? Is it I need to stop withdrawing and start leaning into bonding with somebody in my family? Is it that I I really need to grow up and start seeking wisdom instead of just doing whatever I want to do? Is it that I need to reach out and find help? But ask God, where where do I need to take up my mat and to walk? And then once you discern where God is leading you, take a step. It doesn't have to be a big one. You don't have to solve the whole thing. Jesus didn't work through all of his emotions about Gethsemane in one prayer. But take a step. Take the next step toward healing so that you can experience what God has for you. And whenever we take those steps, as we grow, as we become healthier, as we become more whole, as we experience God's salvation in its fullness, we begin to experience the love of Christ in a powerful way that Paul describes in his letter to the Ephesians. This is what he says. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love, that each of us might be rooted and grounded in loving, bonded relationships where we are connected even as we remain separate from others. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And that's really our hope, is that whenever we experience those things, whenever we experience the the power of Christ, whenever we're strengthened, that we may experience the fullness of God's love in our relationship with God, in our relationships with others, even in the way that we love ourselves, that we might experience that fully, that we might know we are rooted and grounded in Christ's love, that that's fundamentally what's truest about us and not whatever kind of coping mechanism we rely on that we picked up in childhood, but that we are fully rooted in his love and experience the fullness of it. A few weeks ago, my family did some photos, and uh, that's me and my wife and daughter and uh, soon-to-be-born child. And so, you know, particularly this really big transition point in our lives, one of the things that I'm thinking about is how I can be the best father, the best husband that I can be. And it's true in all of my relationships. I want to be the best son, the best sibling. I want to be the best pastor that I can be for you. And so to do that, I, I need a lot of God's grace. I need healing and I need to do the work. I need to work through the, the emotional difficulties that I've had, the, the family patterns that I've picked up, even as I had a wonderful family. But as I do that, I will be able to love them in the way that God asked me to. And whenever we do that hard work with the help of God's grace, we can love in our relationships in the same way. Will you pray with me? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.